Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, let's do. And I'm very excited to know that we have so many listeners out there. It's so lovely. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. Yes, hello to all of you around this great country of ours and around this wonderful world. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we'd of course love to welcome all of you. Uh, the way that we do things normally on this show is we look at the astrological birth data of a historical figure. Um, but we're doing something a little different this time. Uh, and we are going to take a look at a figure that we've already studied uh, in the past, and we're going to take a look at a single day in their life. Uh, so first, what we're going to do is take a look just at the transits going on on that date. Uh, so that date uh, would be the 13th uh -huh. of May, okay, 1958. All right. Do you have a time? I'd say roughly around 9 a.m. Okay. 9 o'clock? Yes. Okay. And where? Venezuela. Ooh. All right. And a town? Caracas. Okay. Are we just looking at the event before you tell me who it's connected to? Yeah. So just read the chart, read the transits uh, that would be going on at this time, and then uh, we'll take a look at the uh, specific person who's... Ah, the transits. Okay. Okay. So we'll start with just going through everything. Uh, we have sun at 22 degrees Taurus, moon at 24 degrees Pisces, Mercury at... 26 degrees Aries, Venus at 8 degrees Aries, Mars at 12 degrees Pisces, Jupiter at 23 degrees Libra, 
Saturn at 24 degrees Sag, Uranus at 7 degrees Leo, Neptune at 2 degrees Scorpio, Pluto at 29 degrees Leo, North Node at 1 degrees Scorpio, Chiron at 22 degrees Aquarius. And this chart has an ascendant of 10 degrees Cancer. So, uh, clearly, this particular day, at this particular time, is a splash chart. We have things kind of evenly distributed around the uh, wheel of the chart. Um, first house is Cancer. There's nothing in that, but um, when a person has their first house in Cancer, they... Uh, can be very nurturing or, or appear very nurturing, seem nurturing when you meet them. Uh, it's first impressions is first house. It's also kind of, um, how people see you as nurturing. Second house is Leo and we have Uranus at seven degrees Leo and Pluto at 29 degrees Leo. So there's definitely some power issues happening with leadership, um, rulership, uh, having to do in this specific moment with could be finances. Third house is ruled by Virgo. There's nothing in that house, but it would make communication seem, um, specific, detailed, should be. Fourth house is Libra, and we have Jupiter at 23 degrees uh, in that house. But then because I'm doing Placidus houses, it uh, a little more than mm, maybe two thirds of the way through, we change to Scorpio. So we have North Node at one degree Scorpio, and we have uh, Neptune at two degrees Scorpio. Now, North Node at one degree Scorpio conjunct Neptune at two degrees Scorpio could make it very confusing as to what your direction is with changing back and forth could be changing your mind back and forth, changing the plan back and forth with regard to the community, the, um, home, family, uh, location. Fifth house is ruled by Scorpio. There's nothing in that house. Sixth house is ruled by Sagittarius. And we have Saturn and Sagittarius in the sixth house at this time. Saturn and Sagittarius is going to be lessons. Lessons with information. Lessons with... Uh, Having too much Jupiter rules Sagittarius. So, um, also a lot of lessons, but having to do with work, day to day environment, um, health, like, uh, physical health. Um, because sixth house is ruled by Virgo, which is ruled by Mer Mercury, which can also be lessons with, um, communication. Is any of this making sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. 
Uh, seventh house is ruled by Capricorn. There's nothing in that house, but that would put longevity on any partnerships, uh, tenacity with partnerships, because anytime you have Saturn ruling your seventh house, Saturn is the time Lord. Saturn is time. Saturn can make things take longer. It can also make commitments stronger. Eighth house is ruled by Aquarius and it has Chiron there. Um, Chiron is the wounded healer in Aquarius. It has to do with humanitarian issues, humanity, the people, we the people, somehow healing the people from past mistakes or past wounds possibly. Ninth house is ruled by uh, Pisces, and we have Mars conjunct Moon in the ninth house in Pisces, which is a lot of emotional um, and creative direction. Mars is what you're passionate about. Mars is War, Mars is anger, Mars is passion, Mars is sexuality, Mars is goals, going to the goals, and Moon in Pisces is um, very emotional, very creative, very watery uh, with that Mars. They're not conjunct by degree, but they're conjunct by sign in the ninth house, which is travel and higher education and information and dogma and religion and inf lots and lots of information. Uh, the Midhaven is in Aries at six degrees and the 10th house is ruled by Aries and we have Venus and Mercury there in Aries. They are not conjunct by, by degree, but they are conjunct by sign. And um, Mercury is communications. Venus is uh, values, valuables, uh, love, how you love, the way you are loved, loving. And this is ruled by Aries, which is war and passion and direction and goals and sexuality. Uh, that's a lot of fire right there. Venus and Mercury in Aries. Then the 11th house is ruled by Taurus, which is very earthy, but 11th house is groups of people and the sun is there. In Taurus, Taurus also rules money and valuables and food and commodities. And it seems like maybe whatever this is, is about those things, possibly, because it's for the people, which is the 11th house, and it's ruled by Taurus and the sun is there. So somehow shining a light on these Taurus things, valuables and commodities and food and money. Twelfth house is ruled by Gemini. There's nothing in that house, but it means that there's some kind of karma with communications, information, information, mm, 
lines of communication. Am I still on track? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been all the way around this wheel. Do you have any questions about this? Um, I think let's go ahead and take a look and see the how this would look for our uh, historical figure. Then we'll take okay. a look at uh, whatever questions. Okay. What historical figure is it? Is it from... Uh, tell me if you see them here. It's going to be Richard Nixon. Oh, okay. Well. So what I want to do then is put this date of yes. May 13th, 1958, 1958 in here. So, um, all right. So looking at this with the transits in his chart. Pluto is transiting his 12th house. It is at 29 degrees Leo. So it is uh, right on, because um, I'm doing Placidus houses for him as well. So at 29 degrees Leo, that's going to be a very significant karmic event because it's falling in his 12th house and it has to do with leadership. Okay. Because it's Leo. Then transiting Uranus is in Leo at seven degrees in his 11th house which is unexpected things with leadership and groups of people. Okay. He has North Node conjunct Neptune in Scorpio, transiting his second house, the house of values, valuables. Um, it's ruled by Taurus, so it can also be uh, you know, commodities and um, money. He has Jupiter in Libra, also in his second house, which is somehow making that transit bigger because it's Jupiter and it is not conjunct, but it's they're all falling in his second house. So it could make this confusion with the direction bigger even maybe bigger than it actually is but it's in libra which is the balance which is justice which is the scales which is law so that also can make it bigger having to do with that he has saturn transiting his fourth house in sagittarius and he natally has Mars at 29 degrees Sagittarius. So transiting Saturn at 24 degrees is conjuncting his natal Mars by degree in Sagittarius. So that could uh, have something to do with cavalier behavior in directions lessons with cavalier behavior with anger with your direction 
with your goals. Could be restraining him in his goals because it's Saturn. Chiron, his transit in Chiron is, uh, transiting Chiron is in his, it's transiting his sixth house along with transiting Mars. Something having to do with warlike things, creative warlike things at work because it's sixth house, which is work, but also somehow this transiting Chiron at 22 degrees Aquarius is conjuncting his moon, his natal moon, because he has natal moon at 20 degrees Aquarius in his sixth house, which is something to do with humanitarian, emotional connection to humanitarian things. Also unexpected things and also um, emotions having to do with that. And it, it's being hit by transiting Chiron. And he has natal Chiron in Pisces in the sixth house already. So he already has this wounded healer aspect about work to begin with. And it's creative because it's Pisces and Mars is in Pisces. So it's somehow creative creative mm, goals creative ambitions in his work in his day-to-day and possibly physical health the moon on this day because the moon changes every two and a half days is also in pisces but it is falling in his seventh house, so possibly something to do with partner, his partner. Venus is also in his seventh house because it could, so it could have something to do with a female partner. And this female partner, Venus in Aries transiting his seventh house. Uh, they could have a fight. They could have an argument. They could have issues because it's Aries. Something intense, though, and fiery with a partner. doesn't have to be a female partner, but it is Venus. So there's that. Then Mercury in Aries is transiting his eighth house. So eighth house is ruled by Pluto, death and rebirth. Um, Mercury is communication, death and rebirth about communication regarding taboo things, um, ending of something, beginning of something else, um, other people's money, other, your partner's money, your partner's, uh, valuables, but it's communication because it's Mercury and it's intense because it's Aries. Am I still on track? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then we have the sun and, um, Taurus transiting his ninth house, the house of philosophy and dogma and world travel and his natal Saturn is there at 29 degrees, at 27 degrees Taurus and the sun is at 22. So he has a lot of current transits 
conjuncting by degree on their transit, things that are in his natal chart. So, um, do you have any questions? So, uh, how would groups of people respond to him on this day? I would imagine that groups of people would respond to him in a way he was not expecting because Uranus is transiting his 11th house. But it isn't just this day, because if we're going to go to just this day, we really have to look at the sun and the moon, because those are the only two things that are going to be specific for this day. But he has had in his chart transiting Uranus, transiting his 11th house for quite some time. See, here's his 11th house cusp right here, right? In Cancer, and here's Uranus. It's already gone from here all the way to here. So he's been doing lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson after surprising thing, unexpected thing. And it can be good or bad or just unexpected. It doesn't have to be. Um, Uranus is, Uranus rules Aquarius. It can be humanitarian dealing with groups of people. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. But it has been happening. It's not new. He's been doing this all this time from here to here in his 11th house. And Uranus takes months or years? Years. Uranus is years. Years. It's a long time. As well as Pluto. These are the outer planets that take so much longer to transit. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the prevailing emotions going into... Uh, this moment, both for him and just in the uh, aura of every of everything of everyone at this time. Well, the the transiting moon is at zero degrees Aries, so um, I would assume that the emotions would be very intense, a hotbed. Because it's fire, it's Aries, and it's zero degrees. So transiting moon at zero degrees at this point in time. Um, let me look at this one. Moon. And it's something creative because the moon in this situation, for the original chart, the moon is at uh, 24 degrees Pisces. All right. And, the, and Mars is at 12 degrees Pisces. So can you ask me the question again? What what was what was the emotional Yeah, what surroundings? are the prevailing emotions uh of this moment just uh, on a grand scale and then I what are Nixon's emotions at this time? Okay. I think that uh because Nixon has Chiron pretty much conjunct his moon in the 6th house that he's trying to think of what is the best as he always would, because he is naturally emotionally inclined to think of the people. All right. Because he has moon in Aquarius, but it also gives him a level head when it, when, when you're dealing with emotions, having moon in Aquarius gives you more of a level head in intense situations. Okay. Uh, Saturn used to rule Aquarius, which would give you a more, more control, 
Okay. With Chiron there, somehow he's trying to heal this situation, maybe. Uh, that's his emotional, that's his emotional motivation, I guess, is to try to heal the situation. Um, and then the transiting moon is heightened emotions because it's conjunct Mars. They're both in Pisces. It's going to make things very emotional, but also creative. But again, there can be things that are hidden because Neptune rules Pisces and that can hide things. It can, it can, uh, cause there to be a veil to where you don't have all the information, if that makes any sense. And how do you think this moment uh, would affect his legacy? How do I think this moment would what? Affect his legacy. Okay, I'm looking at his chart with the transits in his chart. Uh, I'm just going to say that whatever this is, it's very karmic because he has Pluto transiting his 12th house. And it has to do with leadership. And... Pluto is death and rebirth. So this particular moment in time could be a death and rebirth of his leadership. Great change. It doesn't necessarily have to be death, and but there's also a lot of power here because it's Pluto. Uh, Saturn is always going to teach you something. I think it has to do with tempering, perhaps tempering his passion, tempering his passion, tempering his, um, uh, ability to ride forth into a situation because it's Saturn conjunct his Mars. Okay. Am, am I close? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, I have no, I'm so in the dark right now because I, I don't, as you know, I don't follow the history of Nixon as close as you do. I'm pretty sure no one on the planet follows the history of Nixon as close as you do, Chandler. But, um, I think that Venus in Aries transiting his seventh house is what he wants to have happen. Uh, in his um, direction, in his goal, uh, I would think that he wanted to make things good with a partner. Or somehow he might even have good fortune with a partner. Uh, the, the communication with Mercury in Aries transiting his eighth house could be, um, it, it could take a turn because there could be information that he wasn't aware of, hidden things. There's hidden things involved with this. Either, either he doesn't have all the information or no one has all the information um available to them am i still making sense mm -hmm. okay 
uh, uh, it's something about with the sun in Taurus, it's something about money, commodities, um, things that deal with the earth. This isn't about, I, I would, I would, I'm going to put myself out on a limb. This is not about like weapons or technology or those things, because those are not Taurus. Taurus is food and commodities and money and valuables. But at the same time, he does have this North Node, transiting North Node, conjunct uh, Neptune in Scorpio. So this is hidden things, but hidden things on another level because it's Scorpio. Neptune normally veils things, but Neptune rules Pisces. Scorpio, you're not going to see it coming. You, you had no idea that was there because Scorpio is the best at hiding things because it's ruled by Pluto. And then, uh, but we do have this olive branch, which is the Jupiter in Libra in the second house, which is trying to make it right, trying to make things even, if that makes any sense for him, mm-hmm. because this is his chart. Mm-hmm. So if you were uh, the official astrological advisor for the vice president's office Uh uh, and they are planning a trip to caracas venezuela on may 13th 1958 Uh uh-huh would you advise the vice president to go on this trip would i advise the vice president to go on this trip Uh i would say you need to be very very careful because there are things at play here that you're not aware of. So you need to try your best to get all the information you possibly can without committing to anything at this particular moment in time, because you don't have all the information. So you, you would not know what you were committing to. Oh, that. I mean, I'm not sure that that's not just a regular thing in general, but because of Venus and Mercury in Aries, it would seem that if there was a, if there was a a misstep, you could full on be setting off a landmine. You know what I mean? Like this isn't a normal negotiation type of thing because there's so much opportunity for something to explode if that fits we have uranus in leo at 29 degrees that's fire but that's also explosive fire having to do with leadership we have venus in aries and mercury in aries okay that's fire that is explosive. That that is war-like things. Okay. Uh, then we have transiting Mars in Pisces, conjunct Moon in Pisces, which is veiled. Ne- it's it's Neptune. It's hidden. You don't know. Okay. Uh, we're hoping with Chiron transiting Chiron in Aquarius for humanitarian efforts, but 
there's so many other factors involved here and he is he has saturn transiting his mars so his ability to advance in the situation is being held back he's got tethers on his ab ability to advance and he has pluto uh transiting his oh i'm sorry Pluto is what is at 29 degrees, Leo. I can't remember what I said. We have Uranus in Leo in the 11th house, which is um, unexpected things having to do with leadership. But we have Pluto at 29 degrees, Leo, right? Let me double check. Yeah. Pluto at 29 degrees, Leo, sitting in his 12th house, which is karma. So there's some kind of karma involved with this power struggle. Did I just make everything more confusing or did I make it clearer? No, no. You're, you're, you're just adding. Okay. Uh, um, At this uh, point, I can't remember what I've said and what I haven't, so. Uh, do you have any other final first impressions about all this? <laughs> Caution, Will Robinson. Caution. This is a this is kind of a, a powder keg situation. Um, I would tread lightly in this. I would not wield my sword at this particular moment in time. I would just be sort of gathering information. All right. Well, I think we are ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> so the first thing you said is that there would be power issues with leadership, um, perhaps connected to finances. There yeah. is a communication is, during this time is specific and detailed. Uh, there is very confusing yes. direction. Uh, the plan is changing. Uh, right. There's lessons with information, uh, lessons with abundance, and maybe even an abundance of lessons. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a longevity and tenacity with partnerships, healing the people through past mistakes and past wounds, uh, emotional and creative direction. Yes. There's a lot of fire and passion. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a moment to shine a light on commodities and food mm -hmm. and things coming from the ground. Mm -hmm. There is karma with communications. Uh -huh. uh, this is a very significant karmic event. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, and especially involving leadership, mm -hmm. there are unexpected things with leadership in groups of people, uh -huh. confusion with direction, uh, bigger uh, than what was previously thought, having to do with justice. There are lessons with cavalier behavior, anger, yes. direction, goals, uh, yes. and uh, restoring uh, or redirecting goals. Yes. Uh, there is a creative warlike things at work, creative goals, ambitions and work and physical health issues with uh, even possibly fighting uh, with female partners. Yes. There's death and rebirth in secret communication. Groups of people uh, respond to him, respond to uh, Richard Nixon in ways he's not expecting. Yes. There is a very intense emotions. There is a hot feel in the air. Yeah. Uh, he, he must maintain a level head 
uh, mm-hmm. control his emotions, heal the situation or his goals. Uh, there's a veil over everything. Not all the information is revealed. Right. Uh, this is a karmic moment, death and rebirth of leadership, great yeah. change and power. Yeah. Uh, you, he has to temper his passion, temper his ability to ride forth in a challenge. Yeah. Uh, he wants to make uh, things good uh, with his partner. Uh, there are hidden things that he doesn't have all the information about. Uh, there, uh, all of this revolves around commodities, food, mm-hmm. things coming from the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no idea what's happening, what's coming. Right. Uh, it's hidden. He, he uh, needs to be careful. Things at play uh, that he does not know, uh, he's not aware of, uh, yeah. are happening. Uh, must get all of the information uh, because you don't know what you are going into. Right. Uh, could be setting off a landmine. There's uh, yeah. so much opportunity for things to explode. There yeah. is explosive fire in the air. This is an opportunity for leadership. There are great mm-hmm. explosions around. There's a lot of uncertainty. Things are unknown. Mm-hmm. His ability to advance in uh, challenges being held back, uh, the caution, uh, danger is ahead, and that this yeah. is a powder keg situation. Yes. Is there uh, anything that I've left out? No, that that's what I got from this. So this is one of the pivotal moments in the life of Richard Nixon and in the life of uh, the United States relationship to South America. This is the date of the infamous riot in Caracas in which President or Vice President Nixon's motorcade was attacked uh, by uh, communist agitators in Caracas, Venezuela. Wow. Uh, it is um, up to that point uh, the most dangerous uh, position a United States official had been put in outside of the United States. Uh, and uh, it is integral to the story of Nixon and his rise to power, as well as uh, the United States uh, relationship with South America. Uh, so uh, this all begins in the spring of 1958. Uh, Richard Nixon is the vice president. He is serving with uh, President Eisenhower. And uh, Nixon had sort of a unique uh, challenge as vice president. Eisenhower liked to stay above everything. He um, was there to gently guide policy, but wasn't going to get into the thick uh, of the um, attacks, especially politically, uh, but even internationally. Uh, Eisenhower wanted to be this uh, very upper statesman, uh, and so sent Nixon out as the real uh, war dog to uh, uh, fight either partisan things uh, in the nation or uh, to uh, send him internationally as well. And so it came time for another of these tours that the State Department wanted to put together to sure up the United States' relationship with South America, which had been fraught with tension. Uh, the Cold War had not made things any easier. Um, there was a lot of worries of communist infiltration in uh 
South American countries and that they would overturn the existing governments. And the United States' response to that was to back a lot of dictators, powerful, strong men who would crush these uh, communist uh, revolutionaries. Uh, and so there were a lot of people in South America that saw the United States not as a uh, true believer in the tenets mm -hmm. of democracy, but as someone who was willing to go into their country mm -hmm. and uphold powerful dictators to uh, squash down on their rights. Mm -hmm. um, and so Nixon was sort of sent at this time where a few of these dictators are coming out of power through uh, revolutions uh, and, and rebellions and coup d'etats, uh, sort of to show that the United States uh, isn't always going to support the dictators. They really do want democracies to flourish, but... Um, if democracies are going to lead to uh, communism in the area, that is when the United States is going to side more on the side of powerful military governments. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are a number of these countries that are uh, having inaugurations and have these new governments. Uh, and Argentina, uh, which uh, a friend of the show, uh, Eva Perón, uh, <laughs> she has uh, passed away and her husband has been kicked out of power. And uh, so uh, the, a new democratic uh, regime is coming to power in Argentina and the vice president is there to attend that inauguration and while he's in South America they decide, the State Department decides to send him through uh, most of the countries of South America. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's this sort of goodwill tour that's going on. He uh, goes, he attends the um, inauguration of the new president in Argentina. Uh, he's going to uh, Colombia, Peru, uh, all these uh, uh, South American countries. Uh, and it's sort of a, a run-of-the-mill. Uh, no one's truly real excited about that. Even Nixon and his wife, Pat, who love to travel, uh, aren't necessarily thrilled to be going on this. It just seems uh, like it's uh, in the way of, of uh, the regular business going on in Washington, mm -hmm. but they agreed to go. Um, the, uh, during all this time, uh, the United States not only has this sort of bad reputation in regards to its backing of dictators uh, and not support of um, uh, democracies in the area, there's also this huge deal going on with commodity prices. Um, so uh, the United States is changing its relationship to the commodities that it's buying from South America, which is causing... Uh, a detriment to the South American economies on all of these foods that are usually going to the United States. Uh, the wages are now being uh, cut on a lot of these workers and it's hurting the economy because of the United States's policy towards uh, the food and oil and things coming from South America to the United wow. States. And then you have um, all the, the U.S. companies have been treating the South America like their own personal playground for the last half century. Mm -hmm. uh, and that certainly hasn't helped things in regards to South Americans and their relationship to the United States. And it seems like uh, while the United States is pouring out money all over the world to try and fight communism, uh, when it comes to South America, the United States only gives money to uh, uh, the military for military military aid. It doesn't give any economic aid or very mm -hmm. little economic aid uh, mm -hmm. for small businesses or uh, things like that, um, or even like new hospitals and things to happen. Instead, 
the Eisenhower administration is very focused on military and giving military aid, which again goes into this idea of the United States only wanting to back these uh, dictators against uh, the democracies that they want in South America. Mm -hmm. So all of this is kind of in the background when uh, the Nixons leave uh, April 28th, 1958. Uh, they arrive in Uruguay, uh, and he makes a surprise visit to uh, the university uh, that's there. And uh, he uh, attends, uh, I think it may be some sort of like political science class, some sort of class there. And he uh, has an open debate with the students that are there. Uh, the students bring up all of these things about the administration's policy toward South America, about the commodity prices being changed. And Nixon holds his own in this debate, and uh, all of these students leave uh, with a new uh, perspective on, on the United States. They may not be completely converted uh, to the idea that uh, the United States is a completely benevolent force in South American politics, but they are somewhat uh, more, uh, they have a better idea of where the United States is coming from. Uh, and uh, Nixon has this idea of doing more of these debates with students across the continent. Uh, so his next stop, he goes to Argentina and he attends the inauguration there and nothing, no big hiccups happen. Then he goes to Lima, Peru, and they're already starting. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talk in the intelligence agencies that uh, communist agitators are planning demonstrations, uh, especially if Nixon wants to try and visit uh, another university. And he wants to visit the most prestigious university there, which is the University of San Marcos. And he uh, goes there and there's this huge demonstration of students. And Nixon, throughout his career, from the days of being a representative uh, and a senator to his vice presidential, and then later on in the 60s and 70s when there are Vietnam demonstrators right outside uh, the gates of the White House, his tactic is always to go right up into the demonstrators uh, and start shaking hands and start listening to them, seeing what their concerns are, mm -hmm. and talking to them like they're human beings. And a lot of times people are caught so off guard because they have heard all of these things all throughout South America, just as in the United States, there were cartoons of Nixon as this sort of sewer dweller who uh, was uh, just uh, nasty and aggressive and uh, the, this sort of monster of foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And to have this man now face to face with you smiling and mm -hmm. And talking to you like you're a real human being usually caught them off guard completely. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was this tactic that he used many times throughout his career. Well, he does the same thing at the University of San Marcos. And he uh, shows up to the demonstrators. He starts shaking hands. And they are uh, uh, truly filled with vitriol and anger. They are throwing uh, uh, rotten food at him. They are spitting on him. Wow. Um, but he is able to charm the ones that he's actually able to touch and talk to. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a new influx of students that come in and they kind of push him to where it is no longer safe for him to be there. And he goes into the motorcade and he goes to a different university and holds another one of these discussions there. Well, 
they thought this was going to be that that was it that that was uh, truly the the worst indignity that could be suffered by a United States official is to be spat on uh, mm-hmm. by students, um, and so they think that this is uh, this is going to be it. Uh, in fact, uh, Eisenhower sends a cable to him, uh, telling him how proud he is uh, that he stood uh, while they did all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, talking about um, his patience and his courage in the face of all that, and uh, uh, can't wait to have him come back home. So uh, the Nixons then go to Columbia, and while they're in Columbia, there are talks about the next stop. The next stop is Caracas, Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the last stop on the tour, and the intelligence agencies are saying um, that it's it might not be safe uh, at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you're staying in a car, no matter what, it, it might not be safe for you to go because uh, the communists and uh, the agitators are uh, putting out uh, ads and, and putting uh, broadsides out to everyone they can to come to Caracas to have this major demonstration against American power, against the vice president. Mm-hmm. And not only are the United States agencies saying this, but the Venezuelan government is saying this as well. So the Venezuelan government had just switched hands. In January, there was a coup d'etat in which a military junta kicked out of uh, the existing dictator. Uh, and so uh, the, uh, uh, the dictator, uh, Perez Jimenez, uh, was kicked out along with the uh, head of the uh, intelligence, the, the police, uh, that was so brutal against its own citizens, um, Pedro Estrada. So they had both uh, been kicked out of the country and they sought asylum in the United States, which is something that all of the people in Venezuela knew, Mm -hmm. uh, that the United States was housing this horrible dictator and the horrible head of the secret police uh, in its borders. And uh, so that uh, the, uh, the junta saw all the things, the demonstrations going on, they say uh, that maybe the vice president should not come. Uh-huh. And uh, Nixon goes to them and he says, well, are you going to publicly rescind your invitation for me? And they said, no, because that will make us look bad. And so mm-hmm. Nixon's sitting there, well, it's going to make me look bad if you offer an invitation and I reject it. Right. So he decides to go anyway, mm-hmm. really thinking it can't be any worse than what he just went through in Peru. Mm-hmm. So uh, they uh, arrive in Caracas in the uh, morning hours of Tuesday, May 13th, and uh, they uh, get out uh, of the airplane, go down the steps, and there are hundreds of people all around the airport shaking the chain link fences. And at that point, it's kind of hard to tell when you have hundreds of people screaming at you mm-hmm. uh, uh, what they're, especially if they're saying things in Spanish, you don't know if they really, really like you or not. Right. Uh, so there are banners that he can't truly understand. And his interpreter uh, <laughs> leans into him and says, Mr. Vice President, they're not friendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Nixon later goes on to say that was the understatement of the century. Uh, So all of these uh, people who had been uh, led uh, by the communist agitators, uh, busloads of them coming in uh, to the airport, uh, screaming and shouting things, uh, saying, uh, Fuera Nixon, Uh, Nixon go home, Nixon go away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, he's able to go down the steps onto the tarmac where any other normal state visit, the limousines would be waiting for him on the tarmac. But because of the um, rather, uh, uh, I mean, they, the, the American side would say the ineptitude of the Venezuelan government, 
they were now going to have to go all the way through the airport to get to where the limousines were. Mm-hmm. So he's there on the tarmac. He uh, visits with some of the mechanics that are there uh, that are working on the plane and shakes their hand. And then uh, he inspects the honor guard that's there uh, to uh, 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 welcome uh, the vice president and the second lady to their country. And then uh, they start to go into the airport. And that's when the band starts to play the national anthems. Mm-hmm. So they play the United States national anthem and the Venezuelan national anthem. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are standing underneath this balcony uh, uh, that leads into the airport. And he starts uh, uh, feeling like He's getting rained on that they're that they're like it's drizzling or something, but it's a completely clear day, and that is because of all of the demonstrators above who are spitting on <gasps> him and Mrs. Nixon. And not only is it just spit, some of it is brown because it's tobacco spit. Oh and no! And seeing it as it's it's getting uh, onto the second lady's face and getting oh, onto uh, uh, their suits and. Uh, uh, Mrs. Nixon had just bought this this brand new red suit to wear, and he just sees it being destroyed through with his very own eyes, um, uh, uh, with all of this tobacco spit that's being uh, flung at them. And uh, through it all, he stands there erect, uh, 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 waiting for the national anthems to conclude, and then he goes in because he said that it'd be a larger indignity uh, to turn around and flee at that very moment. So he and his wife suffer through all of that and then go uh, into uh, the airport. Uh, while there, there's hundreds of people that are pushing against the police and the Secret Service. They are able to get to the front of the airport where they have this decision, uh, the Secret Service does, of what car to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an open-air convertible or there's this uh, fully covered uh, armed car. Yeah. And uh, the choice of that armed car very likely saved their lives. Yeah. Uh, so they go, uh, and as they make their way towards the armed car... Um, Mrs. Nixon, anywhere she goes uh, throughout her entire career, second lady, first lady, um, when she went on these international trips, she always wanted to try and see the children and the women in the area and the Mm -hmm. common people. And she knew that she wasn't going to be able to see that with all this going on. But she sees through the barricades that there's this child, this little girl who is just uh, uh, saying the most wretched things towards them and spitting and 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 despite all that she goes and she reaches her hand through the barricade to touch the child and the child immediately crumbles uh, and, and is so ashamed of what uh, she has been doing uh, seeing this very nice woman uh, who who is asking about her her life and 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 her well-being uh, and uh, they are able to then leave uh, the airport and get into these two cars. Wow. So in the first car, uh, we have uh, the vice president, uh, Nixon. Uh, there's the foreign minister uh, named uh, Veltuni. Uh, there are two Secret Service agents and one interpreter. And then in the second car is Mrs. Nixon, uh, Mrs. Velatuni, and some Secret Service agents. They start making their way down the autopista. They're, um, they're, what they're supposed to do is go to a statue of Simone Bolivar and lay a wreath at the statue. Well, everyone knows the route that they're going to take. Everyone knows because it's been published in all the newspapers and everything. Mm-hmm. So they are making their way down the highway and, uh, 
the demonstrators start driving down the highway as well, and they start buzzing the cars. They start going in between the two cars. They start uh, trying to uh, wreck the uh, motorcycles uh, that are running alongside wow. them. And uh, the Velutuni, the Venezuelan foreign minister, is just wringing his hands. He he cannot believe uh, that this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about how he... Uh, the the government this is the, a new government uh, this new military junta that's supposed to be temporarily in power in between uh, when they can set up actual democratic elections but they had kicked out uh, Perez uh, and Estrada uh, with the help of communists that mm-hmm. they put this coalition of people from all across the political spectrum to kick out uh, the dictator and so they were so afraid of getting on the communist bad side uh, by trying to restrain them and trying to crack down on them before the president visited uh, that now he has found himself in this uh, in this situation and he said that he didn't want to have any sort of strong police because that's what dictators use dictators use strong police uh, to curb down on people's freedom of speech mm-hmm. and uh, Nixon is is just completely, uh, uh, taken aback uh, by uh, this thought process that these uh, communists would be um, helpful uh, to a, a democratic government. And uh, he says to him, and, and I'm, I'm going to read this quote uh, from what he says in uh, uh, the book that he wrote in 1962 called The Six Crises. And he says, if your new government doesn't have the guts and good sense to control a mob like the one at the airport, there soon will be no freedom for anyone in Venezuela. Freedom does not mean the right to engage in mob action. Don't you realize that the mob was communist-led? Didn't the mob at the airport deny free speech to you and me? Didn't they shout and spit during the playing of your own national anthem as well as mine? Mm-hmm. And uh, the foreign minister just he he he's completely uh, beside himself with all the things that are going on at this time. So as they go into uh, they have uh, into the town of Caracas, uh, the city of Caracas, uh, they uh, what they don't know is that there's a set of roadblocks that are now set up by these agitators, and uh, they. Uh, uh, hit uh, one of these uh, roadblocks and uh, then some of the demonstrators start coming out towards the car and as they come they uh, peel off the flags that are on the front hood of the car uh, Nixon says that there was this huge fat character who threw himself on the hood oh no um, they are attacking the car with their open fists. They have brought clubs. They've brought pipes. Um, and that they are just attacking this armored car. Uh, one of the first things that happens is even though these are bulletproof windows, as you continuously hit these bulletproof windows, shatters of glass do start to peel off. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, a pipe, uh, clubs the uh, one of these windows and the foreign minister gets struck in the eye with the glass so he is holding his eye oh. and then uh, for the next 12 minutes all he keeps doing is rocking back and forth saying this is so terrible this is so terrible this is so terrible and, and Nixon's uh, about to hit him again himself he can't <laughs> stand uh, uh, that, that he, he just won't shut up um, and, and but they're able to clear this first barricade they hit another barricade 
barricade, but they're able to wind their way around it. Then they hit the third one, and mm-hmm. he says uh, that at first he he thought that there were that there were potholes because uh, uh, of the way that the the sound uh, of of what was hitting the car, but it was actually huge rocks that people wow. were throwing at the bottom of the car and at the uh, windows. Wow. So they hit this third roadblock. And uh, then uh, there's just this swarm that starts snaking their way through all the alleys and buildings. And the Secret Service says, here they come. Here they come. And they just surround the vehicle and they keep pounding and pounding on it. They are spitting so much that the driver starts using the windshield wipers so that he can uh, see out of the windshield. Uh, and, uh, luckily the second car is behind, uh, Nixon, uh, with, that has the first, the, the second lady, uh, Pat, uh, and, uh, Mrs. Uh, Velatuni in it. And they drive up and almost lock the bumpers together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the back bumper of Nixon's car to the front bumper of Pat's car so that, uh, the demonstrators cannot attack the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, they are locked and they're just standing still. Uh, the police are doing Doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, most of them are new police. All of the old police uh, had been kicked out and tortured themselves because they were part of a horrible dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So all these new police officers don't know anything of what to do or are just have no inclination of stepping in to help with all this riot going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is uh, all of this uh, uh, fighting going on and, and clubbing and rocks and spit. Uh, and they, there's a, a press truck that is ahead of the Nixon car. And it has all these uh, reporters on it and photographers. And the attackers start going up to um, the press truck. And uh, Nixon writes that uh, Hank Griffin from the Associated Press slugged them back with his camera, uh, with the wow. lens of his camera. So he is using his camera as a club to fight these attackers off. And uh, so... Uh, also, just, just another detail of all this is that the car doesn't have air conditioning, and it is May in Venezuela, uh, and so it's just muggy, and people are – he talks about how there's sweat dripping down off of the Secret Service uh, agent's <sighs> necks, uh, and, and all this is going on. Uh, then another guy comes in with some sort of battering ram, starts attacking uh, uh, the wind – uh, one of the windshields and uh, a shard of glass gets into his interpreter's mouth. <gasps> and uh, Nixon says, spit that glass out. I'm going to need you to talk for, for me oh, later. No. Uh, and, and so all, all the, Pat, he Nixon's able to look back and see that Pat is completely stoic, completely composed. Most of the attackers are not going after that vehicle, though there is some damage that suffered and there is some attacking going on. But mm-hmm. most of it, everyone knows where Nixon is. Uh, but she is there completely stoic, completely composed, while Mrs. Uh, Velatuni is uncontrollable. Oh, and no. so uh, Mrs. Nixon is holding on and, and uh, comforting Mrs. Velatuni. Uh, while all this is going on. And one of the Secret Service agents said that Mrs. Nixon held herself up in a way that I've never seen most men be able to in a crisis such as this. Wow. Uh, so, and, and, and the most of the time, 
Nixon is is sitting in the car thinking this could be it. This could be the end of his life. They yeah. could break through and pull him out and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and that this is a time uh, of thinking of survival. But the one little thought that he was able to think of um, that wasn't about just sheer survival was he was able to look through the windows and see the eyes and the faces of who was doing this and that it was all children and teenagers mm-hmm. that um, uh, he saw that there were leaders, the, the communist uh, agitating leaders were riding piggyback, literally riding on the shoulders of these teenagers and children telling them what to do. Wow. Um, and how he said that uh, that the these these communists are using children, using innocent youth to do their bidding. Um, and, and the thought that struck him of that these children were just a few years older than his own children back mm-hmm. home in America, Julie and Tricia. And um, uh, the the thought of using children and, and, and teenagers to do this uh, uh, was so abhorrent to him. Um, and, you know, yes. it, it's not something that is completely left politics either. I mean, the, the Nazis and right-leaning people also use children to, mm-hmm. to try and command the youth to do their bidding and do this violent work that he thought that was so abhorrent. Uh, uh, that was the one thought that, that kind of crossed his mind that wasn't just about his sheer survival. Well, uh, after minutes, uh, 10 minutes of all of this uh, pounding on the car, then the leaders that are riding piggyback on these teenagers start telling them to rock the car, that they're going to turn the car over uh, and light it on fire. Wow. Uh, so uh, they start rocking the car as if the Lakers just won the championship. And uh, <laughs> they are rocking the car. And uh, that's when the Secret Service starts reaching for their pistols uh, uh-huh. because they think this is it, too. This is uh, and, and the, the Secret Service agents are saying, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to take six of them out with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start reaching for their pistols. And Nixon says, no, put them away. Um, we're not going to have that happen unless they break through and start taking me out. You do not shoot until I give you the order. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, uh, holster the guns again and at that moment uh one of the uh, well the the truck ahead of them with all the press uh, people on it sees uh, a little opening in the oncoming traffic and so he breaks through over the curb goes into the oncoming traffic and creates this gap that nixon's car and pat's car then follow through mm-hmm. and they're able to get out of there um as they start going through on the oncoming traffic side of, uh, of the uh, street, uh, Nixon tells the driver to take a left down an alleyway, that they're not going to go to the statue of Simone Boulevard now. <laughs> yeah, not today. Um, uh, and uh, the uh, Mr. Velatuni starts uh, going apoplectic, saying, we can't leave our police guard. We can't leave our police guard doing all this. And Nixon says, well, if that was your police guard, they're not doing a very good job. We're better on our own. Right. And so peels through and they make it to the American embassy. And uh, once he and uh, Mrs. Nixon arrive there, the American ambassador says, welcome to a little bit of heaven. You are now on American soil. And that wow. was uh, uh, their thoughts exactly. And so they uh, went into the embassy. Uh, they took their clothes off and burned those clothes and got new clothes on. And uh, the whole topic uh, of discussion was like, well, how do you respond to all this? Well, uh, 
the the communications between Venezuela and the United States have been cut off. Uh-huh. And so all the reports that uh, President Eisenhower had gotten were just that the vice president's being attacked. And right. so uh, Eisenhower said in the cabinet meeting that he was ready to put a uniform on himself. And uh, he ordered a, a division of uh, the second Marine division uh, to be scrambled. Uh, the uh, 101st Airborne uh, aircraft carrier, uh, the USS Tar, uh, to get ready for a full invasion of Venezuela. Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, luckily, later on, communications were restored and Nixon uh, put the word out that, that was not going to be necessary, that the riot has been subdued, that uh, everything's fine. Um, and uh, uh, later on, uh, Nixon is, uh, le- he leaves Caracas the next day. They come back to Washington, D.C. Uh, to a hero's welcome. There is a huge uh, parade for them. Uh, Julie and Tricia, uh, as well as President Eisenhower, are there at the airport uh, waiting uh, for their parents to come Mm -hmm. and are so happy to see them. Uh, Eisenhower gives all federal employees the day off so (laughs) that they can come and and see the Nixons as they uh, return from this harrowing journey, this thing that had never happened uh, to a U.S. Uh, uh, official in all of American history before, that it, it was so close to them being taken out by this mob. Wow. And um, so uh, the the legacy of all of this, uh, uh, this really propelled Nixon. If there was any doubt beforehand uh, of Nixon being uh, the presidential nominee for the Republican Party uh, in 1960, this kind of put all that away. The fact that this he had made this reputation as this firebrand as this man who uh is emotional and gets uh, uh angry and uh, really uh, goes after uh his opponents and the fact that he was able to maintain composure that he was mature that he uh, uh told the secret service to back down uh and found a way through this um that really put a, a new idea in people's eyes of who Richard Nixon was and so uh-huh. uh it made him uh, really the front runner and really there never was anyone else to challenge him for the Republican nomination in 1960. Um, But it's also uh, important to look at this in in terms of U.S. relations with South America. Uh, This changed a little bit in the the waning years of the Eisenhower and going into the Kennedy and Johnson administrations as to what kind of aid they would be providing uh, South America. And they tried to uh, put more economic aid included in that instead of just military aid. But the United States continued and continues pretty much to this day of uh, sometimes supporting uh, dictators over uh, democratically elected governments mm-hmm. um, because uh, of their ties either to communism, socialism, or other things. Uh, so that's something even Nixon continued with in Chile with the Allende uh, ad- uh, administration. Um, but uh, it's a real – it really put into uh, – um, people's minds that, oh, maybe the people in South America are upset at us. And really, there weren't uh, a whole lot of Americans that truly understood all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also put communism back into um, the discussion of things going on and, and things to be worried about. Even by 1958, people had kind of gotten tired of this idea of communism being this ever-present threat all around uh, the world and thinking that it kind of subsided a little bit. Well, this brought it back into everyone 
everyone's attention. And it would be a major thing as you get into Cuba and Fidel Castro and uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis of the dangers of communist uh, infiltration in uh, South American and Caribbean governments. Mm -hmm. And then it's also important to think of this in terms of what if. What if Nixon had been taken out uh, uh, during this riot? What Mm -hmm. would that have meant for American um, history from the 60s and 70s? Who would have opened the doors to China? How would the Vietnam War have been ended? Um, And then Watergate and, uh, you know, all the things that happened to the presidency and its relationship to Congress after Watergate. um, Well, we don't know what would have happened if Nixon had been killed at that moment out Outside of the fact that Eisenhower was pretty set on uh, uh, raising Venezuela to the ground and uh, maybe making Venezuela the 51st state, um, he was not messing around. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's a, a truly uh, amazing moment uh, in the uh, careers of Nixon, in the uh, uh, um, uh, the uh, long legacy of American interventionalism in uh, South America and uh, uh just uh, all of that put together, it, it, it's a, a truly unique moment. And I think that a lot of the things uh, that happened in that moment uh, are borne out in, in the charts that we've looked at mm-hmm. uh, when looking at unexpected things that uh, Nixon not expecting, how people are going to react to him. Um, these are all things that are, are going on in this moment. Right. Absolutely. I think when you're dealing with a specific day, uh, you're looking more at the planets that have, um, that move faster, like the sun and the moon and where they are and where they fall on your chart. But also when you're dealing with, uh, Uranus and, and things that can happen. I mean, Uranus can be a, 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 a situation like that, uh, because for him, it's transiting his 11th house, which is groups of people. Um, but you just you just don't know. It could be good or it could be it could be good or bad. You know, it could it could have been lightning striking his car while he was in a group of people. Whatever it had to do, it had to do with a group of people, and it had to do with leadership and unexpected things. You know, so I mean, even an astrologer can look at this chart and and not necessarily in any way say, yeah, I don't think you should go. You know, but I think he could have been more prepared. And I think that, uh, that, that, you know, you can, I guess you, you only know what you know. And, uh, if you don't expect something like that to happen because you have no point of reference for it, you know, then, then you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, on our, Scale of right on the money to way out in outer space. This is uh, pretty close to uh, right on the money as uh, <laughs> to what all the things that were going on uh, just in the air of that time, uh, in that place, and then uh, in Nixon's relationship to all of that. Um, I, I think that, that all kind of bears out. Yeah, I think so. Very interesting. 
Uh, well, that uh, brings us to the end uh, of this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and support the show, uh, we have all the links to our social media accounts posted in the show description. Uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account. Every little bit helps us in making a better quality show and producing uh, a better uh, uh, show and, and making a, a larger audience for our show. Uh, so every little bit helps us in doing that. And if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen. Uh, just uh, look at the uh, show description uh, for the email chandlersmom at historyandretrograde.com and email that and mom can get with you about uh, more details on how to get your chart read or a chart of you and that special someone or that special four-legged someone. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I look forward to meeting all of you. I have so much fun chatting and discussing your charts with you. It's lovely. Thank you all so much for all of your donations. They are greatly appreciated and help us so much. And if you need to find anything about the show, you can always go to the website, which is www.historyandretrograde.com. And you can get links to everything that Chandler just mentioned. Um, I am currently on hiatus from uploading more videos to the YouTube channel, but I will be doing that again soon. But there is most of the first season on YouTube now. If you'd like to see those charts with me sort of working through them as we go, it's a little bit more visual. And um, we just thank you all so much for being there. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for your listens, your downloads, your supports, your word of mouth. Uh, there are uh, lots of people that I talk to in my everyday life who uh, say, hey, I just told a friend about your podcast. Hey, uh, I just uh, it came up in conversation the other day. So that also truly helps us in uh, spreading the word about uh, our fun little experiments we've got going on here. <laughs> Uh, well, that concludes this episode of History and Retrograde. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything's going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Studios. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.